0: You go in the kitchen and you go and cook them their favourite dish that, you know, they come there every week for or something like that. And you get this huge satisfaction when you, when you see that their smiles on their face, that they've enjoyed their dinner, they've had a great night. I mean, it's a it's a great satisfaction. There's not much more you can do for them except to have their make sure that their night is great, you know?
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've spoken a few times about families that have influenced the culinary landscape over generations, but few families have the incredible impact that the Toppy family have had. What's it like growing up in a family of such influence in regards to food to then go on and carve your own path of influence too? Paola Toppy is the owner of Bar M and Toppy Bar and Restaurant in Sydney. Paula, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. And lovely to be here this morning talking to you.
1: Oh, it's amazing to get you on the show. Your family has had the most extraordinary influence over so many uh, decades on, on the culinary landscape. But What's it been like for you growing up in that environment and then, you know, making your own sort of mark?
0: Oh, look, it's, uh, uh, you know, the industry, the industry itself is very stressful and working with families is twice as stressful as that. But um, to be honest, it's been a, it's been an extraordinary journey. You know the people you meet, the the, the times that you have, and and uh, the experiences are just a, a second to none. So it's I've been a, very appreciative of this whole um, era. Um, it's a, it's a sad era too because, as you know, Mum passed away last year. So we're moving on from there. But um, uh, yeah, look, it's it's amazing. Uh, it's, I started in this industry when I was very very young, so it's all I really know at this stage in my life. So I'll be sticking with it. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get through this uh, uh, end of this pandemic, this era of uh, upheaval for this industry, which has suffered so much. I can't tell you. But um, I'm happy to survive.
1: Well, you mentioned that um, you started at a young age. but Was was there a choice? Like your family was already so influential. Take us back to when you were young. What was life like? Were you were forced into a career of hospitality?
0: Basically, I, I'd say that would be correct. I, it was never my intention, to be honest, because um, I could see that it wasn't really the lifestyle that I had envisioned for myself. But, you know... Things change. Her upheavals happen in life. My father died, and uh, I was kind of dragged into the business to keep the family together. So, yeah, I started probably about fifteen washing dishes, and just, you know, basically, I was a, I was a sub for anyone that didn't turn up for work. <laughs> and um, and uh, then I went off and um, started a career in the fashion industry with uh, some friends of mine, and that didn't um, pan out because then my father died, and my mother decided that uh, she wanted to open a restaurant in the City <laughs> so she just turned up one day, handed me some keys, and said, "Go and open this restaurant and I tell you it was it was in a basement in Clarence Street, which isn't any I know now was called Machiavelli's, but it was called the Kingfish seafood cafe, and it was horrendous. It was the worst place I've ever seen in my life. It was really, really bad, it was dirty it was oh it was just infested and anyway so. It took me about six weeks. I stripped it. I painted it, and we opened it uh, eight weeks later. So, and that's the story of uh, how Machiavelli came to be. It was uh, really, <laughs> but you could do it back in those days. It wasn't. It wasn't all the red tape that you have now to 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 you know open a restaurant. I mean, you know the the license there is perpetual, so you don't have to have to put a new DA in every year to keep going or to change your trading hours. So, it's existing use, which was amazing. Now, everything you do now is every two years or every three years, you've got to put a DA in to keep your hours and just goes on and on and on. So, the red tape now, is, is, I think it turns a lot of people away from this industry at the moment.
1: I want to explore the the incredible influence and in restaurants over the years that your family has uh, gifted Sydney but you were originally born in Naples but grew, grew up in Australia take, take us back to um, through your family's history in in Italy and give us a sense of sort of their background and the food that influenced them
0: Sure well my mother was i was my mother and myself we were born in Naples, so the influence of seafood and Neapolitan food, which is classically simple is um my influence and My father was from the Adriatic coast in a small town called Grotamare. and um so he also had a lot of seafood influence in his um in his taste so um you know being from Naples it's all about tomatoes and seafood and pasta and because uh, it wasn't you know <laughs> Food was very expensive. Meat was very expensive. Fish was easier to, to funny enough, fish was cheaper than meat in, in places like that. You know, the, not, not, not like now, but anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the influence uh, was there when, when I was very, very young. We, I came to live in Australia with my mother and father, and she opened a restaurant in Edgecliff called Orsole Mio when I was about, I don't know, four, maybe four. And it, it was a beautiful restaurant overlooking the harbour, and um, I remember clearly sitting on the benches in the kitchen where everyone would just pass by and feed me food. Um, it was just, and then yeah, that was my first experience with restaurants. And then we, you know, we kind of grew up in that environment for a long, long time. Mum had a few years off when she had my brother and sister, and then she went back in when I was about twelve or thirteen to a restaurant in Potts Point, which is uh, diagonally across from. Uh, uh, where um, Woolworths is now, or somewhere there, was on the corner, Rock on the Clay Street. I think it's an ANZ bank now, <laughs> but it was that was that was that was a restaurant called Giovanni's, and that was beautiful, and that was a really good restaurant. And it was it was a, it was a thriving time in the seventies. You know, everyone it was different to now. Everyone was out and enjoying themselves again. You know, just uh, having a great time. And then after that, um, she opened La which was probably the premier silver service restaurant in Sydney for sure. Um, There was was very few restaurants at the time of, of that category. There was maybe four and they were all in this area. Um, up in Potts Point area, which was, you know, like it is now. I mean, it went through stages uh, where it was, you know, not so great. And then it became the, like the Manhattan of Sydney or the Soho of Sydney. And, and it's, remain, it's remained that way, really. I mean, extraordinarily expensive to be up here, even the rents and what have you. But um, it's just uh, full of people. It's a great atmosphere up here. And that was Lestrada And Lestrada was... Uh, you know, like you couldn't do a menu like that again. I've still got the menu here and it's like there was 150 dishes on this menu and and every dish would come out as in a silver service uh, scenario. You know, the pasta would be served from the silver platters onto your plate at the table, you know, the, the, the big on service where they'd cook Steak Diane's and Kidneys Madeira and and Crepe Suzette. And, uh, you know, it was just, just it was a full-on experience. It was only a small restaurant. It was only a 60-seater at the time. Um, yeah, and, and I trained under two um, remarkable waiters there, uh, Frank Aranda and Ricky Spinelli, who were um, – they trained as stewards on the ships back in the 50s, um, which was the highest ranking of uh, service you could get, the best training you could get. Um, in the industry, in the hospitality industry. So, yeah, I was very fortunate to watch them and work under them. And, and, um, you know, so I'm a little bit old-fashioned sometimes with my service. My, My staff don't quite get it. But it's probably because it was instilled into me at a very young age. I mean, I was 16 when Ricky, you know, took me under his wing and, and taught me in uh, La Strada. So, and Ricky unfortunately passed away last year too. So I think I'm the last one left.
1: <laughs> you know? Wow. You know, so. With, with such with such extraordinary restaurants of influence and a family sort of working in hospitality, what, what sort of food and feasts do you remember from when you were young? Like, what, what sort of, um, is there any dishes or feasts that you can tell us about? Uh, as a family that you should
0: Oh, look, yeah. Look, look, we will always go on every Sunday. We'd have, you know, our family would have a Sunday lunch, or, and which would turn into Sunday dinner, and um, we would go all day. And inevitably, there would always be some meat or fish, but the, the, the highlight was the homemade pasta. And that was uh, what you know. Every Sunday we sit there and we slave over it because that was before you had machines and everything else to help you make it. You'd slave over the machine and crank it up by hand, and and you'd make this beautiful velvety uh, fettuccine or tagliatelle or tortellini or cappellacci or whatever whatever um, the mood was for the day. And that was the highlight of the of the meal. And um, we weren't really big on desserts; um, it wasn't a, our thing. But lots of salads, you know. Then then the roasted rosemary chicken, which was a favorite of my father's and you know, or roasted lamb, and then and then the you know there'd be there'd be salads, pasta, then the lamb, and then probably cheese because really dessert wasn't our thing, and um and it would go on for hours, you know. And and my 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 contribution was helping with the pasta in the beginning and washing the dishes at the end <laughs> so, <laughs> because I was the eldest, and the other ones were quite young, uh, you know. They, they, they'd be out running around, and all the other kids in the family were much younger than me, so I'd be the one. Yeah, you know, But that was all right. I didn't mind it because I got to stay with the adults, so that suited me more.
1: <laughs> you mentioned the beginnings of Machiavelli, and, and at the time when it opened, there was only a handful of really influential restaurants like Edna's Table and, and Rock Pool. Um, but what were the challenges for Machiavelli in the first couple of years?
0: Well, you know, I think in the first two months, they – Got rid of um, fringe benefits tax, which was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system, because I mean, people had been lunching and spending and having a good good old time on the company credit card, and now that was all over. So that was a challenge, um, but it didn't seem to affect us. You, you're right; there was only about six restaurants that you could say was, uh, you know, catering to the business lunch at the time, and um, there was in, there was no not many restaurants even opening for dinner. Because it was really just a lunchtime trade, um, and uh, and so you know we kind of I think Leo Schofield, uh, he did this big review for us after about three months, and it was a terrific review. It was a double space, double page spread in the Good Living or whatever it was called. It, it was Good Living, and I mean from there it kind of just went gangbusters for years and years and years, and, and it was a great it was a great experience, and we met so many great people, and you know people are still in our lives today you know that that we still know well and then they still visit our other restaurants now and you know just you know and then it, it's just um, it's incredible that you could get such a kick from a, a good review back in the day now I think there's a lot of reviewers out there and uh, there's a lot of different um, platforms that kind of murk, murk you know and it makes the waters a bit murky because you don 't know who to believe or who to think because you know, you have got young influencers and that they get on the on the, you know, keyboard warriors I call them, and they, if they didn't get what they, exactly what they want or they didn't get a freebie or they didn't get this, they'll inevitably give you a bad review, which I think is a shame in this industry, especially since we've been suffering so long um, in the last, you know, two and a half years, and the suffering is going to continue for at least a year and a half. I think it's not that's not clear cut at the moment. It's just really and interest rates going up less money to spend you know more insecurity. It, it just affects everything. Affects the mindset, and also, you know, can you imagine being locked up for two years? It's like a, it's like a drug. You know, you 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 you're hooked on that now. How do you get out of the house? How do you get them back into the into the restaurants? You know, for the majority of people. I'm not talking about you know, the small restaurants that open up that have their huge followings or you know uh, things like that. But the, the average restaurant, you know, where the people used to go out twice a week or once a month or whatever, are now going out. You know, twenty percent of the time they used to go out so it, it affects everybody and I think there's going to be major upheaval in the next six months in restaurants you know with I mean, the same wages wages have gone up 30 percent in the restaurant industry in the last you know two years and no one seems to realize that because to get to hold on to your staff you've had to offer a lot more money you know I mean in some cases I think the staff are earning more than the owners so you know it's, it's a difficult time.
1: I want to explore sort of the times that we're in and some of the opportunities or directions you think we should go in, but t- take us back to Machiavelli at the, um, at the moment and that decision of yours to change Machiavelli early on and, and jump in the kitchen and um, it really changed what Machiavelli became.
0: Oh uh, well, yeah. I mean, like everything, you know. That's why I never go to a restaurant when it opens in the first month because I know inevitably they're going to change things around, and you don't want to have a disappointing experience when you know that it's going to be a good restaurant in the end, you know. So you know, the first the first day we walk in there i 've done the menu i 've printed the menu it 's on the table this and that i 'm on the floor uh, i 'm on the undi- floor on the undi- table Katerina's on the my sister 's on the floor in the bar and my mother 's in the kitchen it was a, it was a, it was like a faulty towers it was just shocking <laughs> it was a nightmare anyway people screamed I mean we scream i mean that 's our nature we all scream so we 're all screaming at each other in the middle of the middle they thought it was part of the show i 'm sure the clients thought this was, this was hysterical. Anyway, so this went on for about two days, and then I said, "That's enough." I said, "We can't keep, we can't keep going like this." I think we opened on the Wednesday, so it was the Friday which we had the weekend to recover from, and so when we opened on the Monday. I was in the kitchen. Mum was on the antipasto table, and Katarina was on the floor, <laughs> so, and that's how that and and it, and, it worked. and that that worked because you know I, I just it just worked. I mean, Mum Mum loved to be on the floor and talk to people. I loved to be behind the scenes in the kitchen and just get on with it. And um, my sister loved uh, the floor too. So it, it, we all went into our. I think our fortes, you know, where we were strongest, you know, whereas mum didn't want me in the kitchen because, you know, no mother, no one wants, no mother wants their kids in the kitchen, you know, not really. We'd yeah, much rather you have you on the floor and flirting with the man, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was single at the time, you know. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I mean, that, that's um, and, that, and that's how that uh, Machiavelli uh, ended up, and that went on till about I think I left in about 2004 after the Olympics uh, had been through, and then I went on and had a bit of a break from restaurants, and then I had a couple more. I went into a, a little pub foray for a little bit. And that was fun. And then um, and then I opened uh, back in 2015, Shui Shui and Double Bay, um, which was a fun thing. It was just, just skip, tip my, I wanted uh, to uh, tip my toes back in and, and to see um, if I could still do it. And, it. and it worked out really well. It was a very good, very successful restaurant. But then the landlord came to me and said, uh, oh, you wanted to redevelop. So I thought, oh, well, I just threw my hands up in the air. And went, okay. Okay. Luckily, in the meantime, I had found... Um, R uh, M down in Rushcutters Bay, which was the old Ten um, old Avenue, and that was a, that was that was a force to be reckoned with. I mean, the first day we opened, we had busloads coming in from the race course. It was about three hundred odd people just rushing through the doors the first day. It was, it, and we weren't we weren't ready. Trust me, we weren't ready. Which is why I said never go into a restaurant the first month. <laughs> so, um, You know, we, we made it work, but we weren't ready. It was, it was, it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't great, you know, you know, especially when I knew, you know, 90% of the room and it was, you know, trying to make everybody happy in the right seat at the right time and get their food out. It was, it was a, it was a schmozzle, but we got, we got through that and, um, and it was gangbusters until COVID hit. (laughs) And now it's now, it's now, it's just completely different, um, era, I think, in the industry.
1: What was it like working uh, with your mother over the the years? You mentioned that she passed last year. Do you have any stories of um, the influence that she had on you and and uh, and the greater community as well?
0: Oh, look, she was a she was a she was a force to be reckoned with. You know, she was amazing in the kitchen. She amazing the talent. You know, creating dishes and um, and. Cre- and creating people, putting people together, which was, I think, her talent too. Um, you know, she she was inducted into the Hall of Fame back in nineteen eighties. You know, into the Culinary Hall of Fame, and and I don't think she got the recognition she should have got. You know, um, because I mean, her, her influence was really really profound, in, especially in the in the Italian um, community, where you know everyone looked at her menus and, and uh, you know they understood that her menus were great. To be able to put 150 dishes on a menu and to be able to cook from this tiny little kitchen with three people is, is you know' mind boggling in, in today 's terms when people have twelve and fifteen people in the kitchen you know it's just how it's just a, it's a, an art to, to put the dishes together that you can actually do that you know you, you, i mean Italian cuisine essentially is six or seven ingredients you know and if you, and if, you, and if you can keep to those ingredients i mean, you may say maximum ten ingredients. Right? And you can create 150 dishes from those 10 ingredients. I mean, what's stopping you? And that's what, and that's the trick to her, to, uh, to her cooking. You know, it's, it's the simplicity that makes it so good and that influences all our food even today. in, in a lot of restaurants today too because they, they understood that good food, the, 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 the main ingredient has to be the prize. You know, you can't overpower the main ingredient, you know, whether it's protein or the pasta or whatever it is. And 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 you need to and you need to emphasize that ingredient. And the only way to do that is with simplicity. Because if you add too many herbs or too many spices or too many, it becomes a different cuisine. It's not Italian anymore. You know, it, I mean, the French have their butter, the Italians have their tomatoes and olive oil. You know, and the Indians have their curry and they, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, Italian food. In, in essence, and what she taught us all was the simplicity, you know, is to have, you know, even with three or four ingredients to, to create a whole cookbook from that. You know, it's just amazing.
1: Are there any dishes uh, that have been passed on that you um, now share in your restaurants that have been passed through the family?
0: Oh, look, I could say, you know, at least half the dishes have been. Um, you know, even the, the, it's, it's not even just the dishes, it's, it's the technique of cooking. The simplicity of cooking, and and, uh, you know, we don't have, except, except apart from the ragu, there's nothing that takes more than three or four minutes, you know. No, okay, and the steaks too. We have to obviously 15 minutes for a steak. But, I mean, essentially the pastas are all very a la carte, which is which is a lost, uh, I think, it's a lost um, technique now. A la carte is something where you make it to order. So people get surprised when they look at you and they say, oh, I don't want garlic, I don't want chili, I don't want this, I don't want that. And we, we go, okay, no problem. And they go, how do you do that? I said, because we make it to order. So if you don't want it, you don't get it. And I, th- and I think, and, and we lost a lot of that in, in the industry now where, you know the customer asks you something and you now you go to a restaurant and you say can i can i not have sauce on my um fish and they go nope and that's how it comes and and that's a lost art to to remember that the client or the customer is the one that should dictate what they're eating not you <laughs> you know you know and i think um that's that's her that's a lesson to us the simplicity in the food or you know the 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 limited ingredients and 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 making the customers welcome and, and, and feeding them what they want. I mean, I mean the only people that get any um, get by with asking what they want are the celiacs and the, and the dietary, but apart from them, no one else can ask for anything in restaurants nowadays, which I find annoying more than anything else.
1: Bar M is an extraordinary, um, it's a huge restaurant and a, a wonderful offering. Tell us how that came about and what you've created there.
0: Well, you know what, we walked in there and it was a big barn and I can't tell you. And I looked at my husband, and who's, who's a genius, at, uh, he's, he's very artistic, and, um, and he, he looked at the walls and I looked at him and we got, these are grey walls, what are we going to do? We can't buy art because the walls are just too big. You know, they're 15 metres high, they're 20 metres long. I mean, what do you do with these walls? And, you know, he thought to himself and, and he came up with this terrific idea of projections. And the projections have to be not just project anything. They have to be kind of a talking point. So if you're on a bad date – you can watch the walls, you know, and but, but the walls were kind of they were morphing, so they, they weren't interfering with the dinner. They didn't they didn't catch your eye unless you were looking. So it was the whole system of uh, how we put it together, and and his black humour, how he, you know some of the images he puts up there, it's it was it was amazing. And you know I got to hand it to him because if it wasn't for that, those walls could be very grey and very and and not create the atmosphere that we have. I don't know how you do a restaurant like. That with walls like that, in you know, in anywhere, you know, I think they've, they've done a few restaurants like this in London now and New York. You know, people start to catch on, even like Vivid. Vivid is the same, um, it's, it's the same technology. Right, so we had it back in 2015 or 16. We started that well before Vivid, and I think the technology is is advancing day by day. And we, at some point, if, if the restaurants pick back up, we'll look at new technology for the walls too to make it another talking point. And we get a lot of functions there because of the walls, because people have put their own um, their own stamp on the walls, whether it be their logos or their images or their, you know, like perfumes and cars and all kinds of things that we do there. Um, And and I think it uh, really, really stands out. Um, I think if it was anywhere else in the world, you wouldn't be able to get in for months and months. I mean, Sydney's a bit of a hard taskmaster at the mo- at the moment. You know, they, they love to shift from restaurant to restaurant. They eventually come back, but the more restaurants open, the more you lose clientele for the for that six months, and then they come back again. But I think COVID again has changed everything. It's it's you know I'm only starting to see a trickle back of my older clients now because they, they literally weren't going out at all. They, they, I've had clients coming going, Paula, this is the first time I've been out in two years. This is the first. So, I mean, and I, and, I, and the mind boggles that that the, the, the government, you know, in in their efforts to protect us, have turned us into hermits. <laughs> you know, which I mean, I, you know, I can understand. that they had no option; they didn't know what was going on, and you know, played it by ear. I think. But the whole world is now realizing the consequences of of their actions. It's you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where we go from here because. It is difficult. I mean, Toppy Martin Place is in a premier position. It's opposite Parliament House. It's got a 30-storey building above it, and we still struggle to fill it at the moment because there's no one in the city. There's a there's a train strike. There's a march. There's a, a teacher strike. There's this, there's that. There's Every day there's something, you know? And it's really hurting our economy, I think. And uh, and don't don't get me started on finding staff because that's just beyond, you know.
1: <laughs> what would what would help at the moment? You've got two really influential restaurants, and, and one of them is absolutely huge as well at Bar M. Um, what would what would help, uh, given the current climate, moving forward for you?
0: Look, I've, got, I've still got a few foreign um, workers with me. If the government could just make it easier for them to get their, their citizenship or their, their um, permanent residencies, it would make it so much easier. But, you know, to do that, it's a $20,000 exercise. And to be out of COVID for two and a half years, people just don't have the money to do it. I mean, I don't understand why these visas should be so expensive. You know, even even to renew the visas for my sponsored chefs and my sponsored managers. You know, it's a four four thousand, five thousand dollars exercise for me plus them. So it's a ten thousand dollar exercise just to renew their visa every two years. It's too expensive at the moment. But we have no option, but we have to do it. You know, we can't afford to lose more staff. I mean, our kids, our kids, my kids, they're all over educated. They don't want to do this job. You know, they, they, you, you won't find dishwashers that are that are Aussies. You won't find um, that many weight staff that are Australian. You know, you'll you find a few older, older uh, 30, 40, 50s uh, that have been doing it all their whole life as, as a career. But pe- the, the young ones don't see it as a career anymore, you know, even though they're probably only more than the white-collar people <laughs> in the city at the moment, you know. I mean, the tips are good. Wages are good, very high. I mean, I just don't know what else to do to attract them. There's just no one here at the moment to take the, up the jobs, you know. And I'm willing to train them. from from if, if I see a little spark in their eye, I'm willing to sit there and train them. But you're not even getting that, you know. But uh, I don't know what to do. And I mean, there's, there's some big groups out there that have swamped the industry and taken a lot of the staff, but good luck to them. That's, 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 they, can, they can do it. I mean, small little restaurants really can't afford to pay the wages that you know. I mean, you're looking at 32 dollars an hour for any staff member at the moment as a minimum. That's a lot, you know, when the, when the award wage is 22, so what's 50 percent more than the award wage. And don't forget, add tips to that. So they're on about 50 dollars an hour. So it's 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 a lot, you know, and and you still can't get people for the industry. That's that's the, the mind-blowing thing, you know, <laughs> that I think to myself, you know, you will earn so much money. Just do it for four years, five. Do it while – I used to get back in the day when Ad had Machiavellis, all the university students used to come and work three days a week. You know, they don't even do that now, you know, to, to work their way through uni. It was, you know, now they get their hex, so they'll pay it off later, so they don't care anymore. So it's it's all changed. The whole industry is changed, and I, and I see a huge upheaval in the next six months. And I'm really worried for the industry. To be honest, it's it's, it's a it's 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 a, it's a dangerous time. You know, all the government protection is gone now. We just have to we just have to sit back and try and negotiate with our good landlords, and hopefully they'll 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 look after or help us even more than they've already helped us, because God knows they're out of pocket just as much as we are. Yeah. You know, so where does it end?
1: Well. Bar M sets an incredible standard, but it's quite huge. How do you run a business of that size and maintain the standards? I mean, what does it take to cook for that many people?
0: Oh, it takes a lot, <laughs> it takes, and 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 unfortunately, when we got the restaurant, it had this huge kitchen, and sometimes a huge kitchen can be a, a detriment. Not, not not a it doesn't complement. You know, it doesn't mean that a kitchen has to be huge to get out big numbers, because the bigger the kitchen, the more numbers you need in the kitchen, so the more expensive it is to run. So, you know, that, that was fine when you're doing 250 sink covers at, uh, per, per session, but it's, it's very difficult now in times like now where you're doing 80 to 100, you know. So you're, you're probably at 50% capacity that, uh, of what you were doing before, but in order, but you still need the same amount of staff because it's such a big restaurant. I mean, from front to back, it's 50 metres. From, from across, it's, it's, you know, it's another 20 metres. So, you know, I've, I've rearranged the tables a bit now so that the larger tables are closer to the kitchen, to have less distance to move the food about. There's little little tricks you can do, but, uh, but you still need a, an inordinate an amount of stuff. And plus we have a huge bar there. And the bar obviously is not working at the moment because people aren't going out at night uh, that much. So you still have to have a person on the bar. You still have to have uh, the host or hostess at the front, and you still have to have four to five, six people in the kitchen. So... And then the same amount of people on the floor. So, I mean, your, your ratio, of staff, your staff, uh, staff, to ratio, customer ratio at the moment is quite high. I mean, you've got probably one staff member for every 15 people at, at most. Probably between 12, yeah, just in that kind of restaurant. Whereas Toppy, who's, which is also a large restaurant, but it's a different shaped restaurant. So therefore, I can I can run Toppy on half the staff that I run Bar M on. But Toppy will take more money, <laughs> you know. It's, it's a dilemma. It's a, it's a big dilemma. And, um, you know, how how long do you keep this going until you say, well, you know, maybe I won't renew you my lease this year. And it would be a shame because it's a beautiful restaurant, you know. But you have to weigh up the, the odds of can you find staff, can you fill the restaurant. You know, how many staff do I need to, what's the profit margin? And the profit margin already, you know, in restaurants is, you know, is, is ultra thin at the moment. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's beyond thin. It's, it's, I think most restaurants be going, breaking even or going backwards. I mean, very few restaurants will be making a profit at the moment. I mean, I look at, you know, there's a new restaurant in Double Bay. You know, it's a beautiful restaurant. But they have fuck 30 people on the floor and 20 people in the kitchen. I go, how do you pay the wages and where do you find the staff? You know, and you know that's a restaurant that's doing 130 seats. So it's it's just mind boggling, you know, what people are willing to do to, to, you know, maybe set themselves apart from other restaurants where they know, you know, the service isn't great at the moment because we don't have enough trained staff. So, you know, someone will come along and say, "Well, I'm going to change this. I'm going to put so many staff on the floor that the service is going to have to be great." doesn't always work that way you know, by the way <laughs> you know sometimes you've know, never you been overserved <laughs> where the five people come up to you and ask you the same question I mean you know it's quite annoying at that, that to it you know so it's a fine line it's a, it's a fine line how to to run the kitchen and a floor and then you know your kitchen has to get on with the floor and the floor has to get on with the kitchen and then you have to get on with the management and you know it's just it's, you, you, you just it's a little balancing act every day <laughs> you know and then and then your know, customers You know, you know your customers. I mean, for somebody like me that's been in this industry for over 40 years, I know my customers. I know where they want to sit. I know what they want to eat. So, and then you you argue with your your Maida Dinga, no, no, he's not sitting there. He's going back to his usual table. But, 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 there's no buts. So I said, just put him on his usual table. <laughs> and uh, so they don't understand, the, the young ones don't understand, you know, how to give that kind of service. And you train them and you teach them. And, that, and that's my job at the moment is to train them and teach them, you know, to recognize the customers and to and to give them what they want. And maybe that's it. Hopefully that'll set us apart, you know, and, and build, help build us back up.
1: The last two years, um, as, as you've detailed it, have been incredibly challenging and they continue to be challenging, but has it has the period of time changed you? Has there been opportunities and positives to come from this adversity for you?
0: Look, I, you know what? I don't think there's too many positives here because uh, your wages have gone up 30%. You you can't find staff even if you wanted to pay them, you know, uh, more money. Uh, the food costs don 't even get me started. How do you pass on these food costs to the customers? I mean they wouldn never understand it that you have to start charging seventy dollars for a piece of fish or a steak just to break even i mean how do they how do they wrap their heads around that? you know how do, you know and so you know and people they, and i, I can 't bring myself to to serve offal because i don 't think offal is is a thing that I do well and I don't think that's you know I was never brought up to serve that in a restaurant you know but the only thing we we ever served was kidneys kidneys Madeira but that was a very you know, specialist um, service you know but you know people are people are moving towards cheaper cuts of meat and cheaper cuts of fish you know and and trying to make their profit that way but I don't agree with that you know I think people go to a restaurant to have what they can't have at home you know, and, you know, it's a, if, you, if you're going to have to have a beautiful porterhouse steak, you know, with a Marble 5 uh, Black Market, Ranger's Valley, they should only be able to get it from you. They shouldn't be able to get it from their butcher. And that's got to set you apart from, from you know, eating at home or getting takeaway, you know, which is another problem that everyone's getting takeaway. And the, and the quality of takeaway has really deteriorated, too. And people's palates have deteriorated, so they don't even know the difference anymore after two years of eating, you know, at home and eating crap, basically. So, you know, it's it's the whole I, – I don't see too many positives out of the last two years, except for I've got to hand it to the government. They did help. I think I, I think at least <laughs> 50% of restaurants wouldn't have reopened if it wasn't for the government help. So that's a positive, I suppose, and um, I don't see how they could keep – they can't continue, obviously. But um, I don't think the the worst of it's over. And I think uh, a lot of people are going to go belly up and, and then try and restart, you know. I think that's the only, only option.
1: Uh, you mentioned um, you've been in the industry for about 40 years and your family for, for much longer, an incredible influence. Um, looking back at the family's influence and, and your career, what do you love about um, what you do?
0: Oh, I love the people, you know. I mean, I think if anyone in this industry can tell you uh, – the best part of it is the people and you know and it's the good people because unfortunately at the moment you're getting a lot of bad people too a lot of people expecting so much out of you it's, it's hard but you know forget about the last few years prior to that people were beautiful you know people were great you know you'd welcome them that came in they'd be happy to see you you'd be happy to see them you know uh, you know you'd, you'd have a chat and you'd have a talk and then you go in the kitchen and you go and cook them their favorite dish that you know they come there every week for or something like that and you get this huge satisfaction when you when you see that their smiles on their faces that they've enjoyed their dinner they've had a great night i mean it's a it's a great satisfaction there's not much more you can do for them except to have their make sure that their night is great you know so I love that. I love that about the industry and I love creating new dishes and I love seeing people's faces when they've tried it for the first time. That kind of thing is just, you know, that, that makes me warm and fuzzy. <laughs>
1: well, you've made so many people warm and fuzzy over so many decades. Um, it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a bit of you and your family's story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: I hope so. It's wonderful to talk to you and you bring back so many nice memories for me so I'm going to have a cry now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast, or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.